0: No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.
1: Splits. I can't do them. I've got tight hips. But we always talk about them in fantasy football. You hear about them all the time when we try to make cases for players. Oh, he was doing well in this scenario. Bad in another Well, Hayden has a full column on Underdog Network with the real details, the on-off splits for a lot of these players that we're trying to find information on and understand if they are ones we want to invest in on Underdog this summer. Hayden, give us more.
0: Yeah, it just really comes down to they're very useful, but things can get sideways if you put too much emphasis on them. I think a lot of people... We'll just look at like the production from like a five-game sample when he was a starter or if the quarterback missed or something like that. But a lot of times, like one big, long touchdown could skew a small sample size. So what we're going to be doing here is we're focusing on the production because that matters. If, like If I'm trying to say Zach Wilson's bad and that's affecting Elijah Moore, the production matters. But also, the usage is going to be very key in some of these splits, too. And then sometimes, even the splits from last year, yes, they might exist. But you and I can walk through to see if that even matters Right For this year, if there's other contextual things. So this is really about context versus last year's stats. That's what
1: the entire summer is about, right? Like trying to figure out what's noise versus fact and if even what we saw last year is going to carry on over into this year. So you have a bunch of these for nearly every single team. Let's run through them maybe at a brisk pace for for you and I. Okay, we'll start off in alphabetical order. Uh, Let's go with the Arizona Cardinals and James Conner. We just had a huge two-hour conversation on all the running backs, but this is a very different scenario, right? That we have with the Cardinals this year, just putting it simply chase Edmonds and James Connor worked in different ways, but utilized both last season. Now it's James Connor's backfield. He was granted a whole bunch of money and there are a bunch of questions
0: after him. When James Connor was splitting the backfield with chase Edmonds, basically the first eight ish games of the year. Uh, he averaged 11.2 half PPR points, which is basically about flex play without Chase Edmonds. He went to 23.4 and it wasn't just outlier touchdown scoring or anything like that. The usage went from 9.2 expected half PPR points with Chase Edmonds to 18.4, a legit doubling. And then you can kind of look at it the other way. James Conner missed a couple games, Uh, and then Chase Edmonds. He had 15.6 expected half PPR points, which is right there on that running back one-two border. So when there's a one back in the backfield, this is an elite, elite opportunity. We got some reports that Eno Benjamin, not Daryl Williams, might be the number two. And we talked about in the last show how I just don't think Daryl Williams is any good. They gave him basically $1 million flat. He's not even a lock to make the roster, in my opinion. I think it will be James Conner. Yes, his touchdowns will dip but 18.4 expected half PPR points in the five games that he had without Chase Edmonds means that he has top three overall ceiling I, I know the injury. I think the the injury risk. Like I posted this on Twitter, and like my entire mentions was just like, the "Don't you hate when that injuries, happens?" Injuries. And I reminded them that they're trying to win two million dollars, which you have to come in first place out of four hundred fifty thousand dollars. If any of these guys get injured, it's, you're shit out of luck. So play right. for the ceiling. James Conner established last year. He has a top three ceiling. I think that there's a chance that he can be top five, top seven, top ten. And right now, he's the running back fifteen.
1: Yeah, it was five to six games without Chase Edmonds, and a lot of it was the receiving work. I mean, some of those games, he had five for 37, five for 77, nine for 94, six for 41, and that was really what Edmonds did so well between the 20s was work as a first, second, and third down player, and the high-value touches was where James Conner despite having, what, like 800 rushing yards last year, got all of his fantasy points. Guess what? Now, if he gets more volume and there's a little bit of regression with the touchdowns, we still get an awesome player at, like you said, running back 15. When he's like on an island by himself, sandwiched between like Javante Williams and Ezekiel Elliott in the third round. I bet that gets boosted by, by August, especially with the uncertainty of the backup running backs around him.
0: People hate James Conner. They, I don't they think hate he, running I think backs his, in general. I don't think his ADP is going <laughs> to climb because it, it's the biases Sorry. against him. The other thing that I got outside of the injuries was his yards per carry. And I did the math. If he had, he averaged 3.7 yards per carry, which is not good. Like he's not an explosive runner. I'm not trying to say that. But if, if let's say he went to 4.2, he added 0. 0.5 yards per carry. If he did that over 250 carries, do you know how many more fantasy points that gets you over the course of the season? 12, 12 fantasy points. It doesn't matter. Yards per carry yeah. doesn't matter. It's about the opportunity, not the actual uh, between the 20 yardage.
1: Yeah. And I mean, 41 of his carries were inside the 20 yard line again. So like it's a little more difficult to have longer runs in that dynamic to, to, to raise your yards per carry. Again, we have probably a whole clip by now from that running back show on James Conner. Go and watch it if you want more and by the way if you want more of this column and not just us talking about it we'll link it in the description down below okay also with the Arizona Cardinals uh, Zach Ertz was traded for about halfway through the season Uh, and while Zach Ertz was like a catch and fall guy during the last few years with the Philadelphia Eagles it felt like he had some really big plays with the Cardinals again an even smaller sample with his time there than a full season that we have with some of these other players. I even think there's upside where he's going right now in underdog.
0: I mean, this is a classic Josh Norris. You're looking at the contracts and they gave him three years, $32 million this off season. So Ertz is going to be out there, not concerned about Trey McBride going into last year. Uh, with the Cardinals, he averaged 9.2 half PPR points on 10.6 expected half PPR points. That's locked in tight end one numbers. Even with DeAndre Hopkins, there's three games where Zacherts was playing with DeAndre Hopkins. Even in those games, 8.2 half PPR and 8.9 expected half PPR points. He's not going to be super efficient. He is definitely catch and fall down, kind of like late career jason witten but there was a couple years where jason witten wasn't exactly uh running all over the field he was still catching 60 70 passes i think that you get that was accurate he's like a fine pick on the tight end one two border um and we like to pay we like Kyler murray in general in fantasy and to me he's pretty cheap as a as a pairing
1: now granted i've already planned my flag for dawson knox in that same range at 102 versus Zach Hertz going at at 108 but like if we can continue our theory that maybe in the first six weeks while Nuke is suspended, that Marquise Brown runs more on the outside, maybe more of the middle of field and slot presence is Zach Ertz during that time period. So maybe he gets off to a a rip-roaring start. And I know that this can lead us also into Rondell Moore, who all of you are still drafting at a whopping rate at wide receiver 55 and 118 overall. What could people be getting with Rondell Moore in 2022?
0: So he played five games without DeAndre Hopkins last season. In those games, Rondell Moore averaged 4.8 half PPR points, not very good on 7.1 expected half PPR points. I looked into his routes run during those games. He started off in the first game, DeAndre missed. He ran around 70% of dropbacks, then 87, then, wait for it, 33% of dropbacks, 48% of dropbacks, then 29% of dropbacks. That's 50% percent uh in general over that five game stretch in that 87 percent game that i just talked about that was also the game where aj green missed so both outside wide receivers and he's he and, and he still didn't he was not play down the field so <laughs> yeah, so re- really this is an organizational philosophy with Rondell Moore. what do they view him as i'm going to be looking for the training camp reports when yeah, deandre yeah. hopkins is suspended in those first six games is rondale Moore? going to be playing behind Marquise Brown in the slot? Or is Marquise Brown going to play X receiver? Guess what Marquise Brown is? He is not an X receiver. If they're going to throw a Marquise Brown, the DeAndre Hopkins role, they've lost their minds. Marquise Brown is like Christian Kirk. Remember like in twenty. 19, it was, or 2020. Christian Kirk was playing on the outside. He's one of the yeah. least efficient players. They put him in the slot, and then all of a sudden, now he's making a half a billion dollars. Vertical a year. slot, a big deal yes. when Kyler
1: Murray is throwing the football.
0: So I'm curious to see what the Cardinals' plan is in the six games. Is Marquise Brown going to be playing the slot, or is he going to play on the outside? Right now, Rondell Moore has to have Marquise Brown play on the outside.
1: Rondell's ADP has dropped. It's still 118. Uh, that's only 10 spots after Tyler Boyd, who actually plays wide receiver, who actually, you know, has a legitimate role. And maybe if one of the top two wide receivers goes down, then he plays in one of those two wide receiver sets. Rondale literally didn't play wide receiver last year. It was a 1.1 a dot by far the lowest in the league. Again, we're almost certainly going to hear practice reports and I want to see it too. But this is a a player that I have to see it to believe it. And if I miss on Rondale, I miss on Rondale this year. I just have to see him legit. Do wide receiver things before I even invested in him.
0: So. And what what if they use Trey McBride and two wide receiver or, and they do a couple more two wide receiver set snaps again? That comes at the expense of the slot receiver. Like, right. I don't know.
1: Okay. Let's talk about the Baltimore Ravens. We have already a whole clip on Rashad Bateman on the site. Anything you want to add here that you've researched since then?
0: Yeah. Just Marquise Brown was the wide receiver 13 and expected fantasy points last year. And Rashad Bateman's going as a wide receiver 25. I'm not expecting the Ravens to remain as pass heavy as they were last year um but we'll see if the running backs can stay healthy i just think that rashad bateman uh is a pretty good bet right now
1: okay next up is gabriel davis who has been steamed all the way up partially because of the offense partially because of his absolutely ludicrous eight reception 200 yard four touchdown game up to wide receiver 24 and also because of week 17 correlation who they're playing during that time um that is the last memory that we have of Gabriel Davis for the rest of the season. He only had one other hundred and plus yard game. And it was when he caught three passes in, in week 10, the rest of it, not so much production. So like, what can you impart on us on if we have any standing of who Gabriel Davis really is other than, you know, our last example, which was nuclear.
0: So he played five games without, Uh, with either Emmanuel Sanders or Cole Beasley missing. And that was important because he was the number four receiver. It didn't really matter. He would play the slot or outside, depending on who missed time. But in those five games, he averaged 11.7 half PPR points on 11.9 expected half PPR points. If you take those numbers and just just smooth them out for the entire season, that would have made him the wide receiver 17 in fantasy last year. So we're talking about a supreme upside case with Gabe Davis. And that's with Steph Diggs being healthy. Like, what happens to Gabe Davis if Steph Diggs is not out there? So I think... Right now, yes, he is completely priced up. I think he's priced up to a spot that's actually fair, based off of just the wide receiver depth behind him. It's a basically we're going to get to the the build slot receivers uh, next. But Gabe Davis, to me, based off of the the way he was using the playoffs, sixty five uh, percent routes, eighty three percent routes when he had that crazy game, plus just the late in the season when when Beasley and Sanders were banged up, he was legit getting like wide receiver two usage already in that case. So I, I'm I'm buying the price tag even if like, I don't think he's the best player I've ever seen before. This offense is ready to go and he's got the role.
1: He's being drafted right after the proven players like Terry McLaurin, Allen Robinson and DK Metcalf. And then right before the the projections, you just talked about Rashad Bateman. He's going one spot at wide receiver ahead of Rashad Bateman, Brandon cooks on a bad team. Juju, can he bounce back in Kansas city? So it is an interesting spot that he's slid into that. I do think it is. I do think it is fair. What about the Bills' slot wide receiver? Because you mentioned it. Emmanuel Sanders and mostly Colt Beasley. And they've filled in at that spot. And then now, obviously, Brandon Bean has brought in Jamison Crowder uh, to compete with a man I thought was going to earn more money in free agency, Isaiah McKenzie.
0: Yeah, last year, this starting slot wide receiver, which was like, Maybe 14 games of Cole Beasley and two or three with Isaiah McKenzie. If you average their usage, they average 9.8 expected half PPR points, nine actual half PPR points, which gets you right into the wide receiver four or five conversation. It's a toss up between Jameson Crowder and Isaiah McKenzie for now. Jameson Crowder's getting drafted in like 130th overall. Isaiah McKenzie largely undrafted. I've read The Athletic. They're calling it a toss up. Get some Isaiah McKenzie. Neither of them are making that much money. It's not like that Crowder made all this money on Isaiah McKenzie didn't. Neither of them made that much money. So I think it's going to be a true let the best man win.
1: The first time you're checking out this channel, take a moment, hit that subscribe button, even the notification bell. We have shows every Tuesday and Thursday at three o'clock Eastern. Also have Monday night drafts. You know, the puppies going on right now, super flexed. And you have Best Ball Mania 3 throughout the entire summer. If you've never drafted an underdog, Why are you waiting until August or September to draft? Do it right now. Deposit anything. Hayden will match if you use promo code the show out of his own pocket. Okay. Again, we have an entire two hours on running backs, but many running backs are featured here. Let's talk about Devin Singletary along, I guess, maybe with with James Cook, because they're going back to back in drafts, as you know, as running back 34 and running back
0: 35. Yeah. Devin Singletary was splitting the role with Zach Moss in the first 13 weeks of the season in those games. He averaged 7.2 half PPR points, which is basically worthless. After week 13, when they lost to the Patriots, Zach Moss had a bad game. They basically benched him going into the playoffs. Then Devin Singletary averaged 15.8 half PPR points. So what are we getting with James Cook here? You and I both agree. It's probably the JD McKissick role that they tried to get into free agency. That means it's going to be a split backfield not a bell cow back. And I think that this makes this offense a little bit hard to uh,
1: invest into the position,
0: really. right? You you basically
1: can't project that 16 half-point PPR points to either one of these guys, and most likely they'll split, I don't know, 18 or 19 on a weekly basis. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Carolina Panthers running back Christian McCaffrey. We haven't seen him very much, I think, 10 games since 2020. Anything else you want
0: to add to our running back conversation on him? Uh, just that he scored 23, 22, 21, 21 half PPR points in his four healthy games last year. Just as a reminder, still pretty good. Chicago bears, the wasteland, Darno Mooney. So
1: <laughs> there are probably a lot of different splits you could look at to try to make yes. a case for any Chicago bear heading into 2022. That's probably fair. Like you had the up and down nature and in the game, out of the game with Justin Fields at quarterback. And then also, John Mooney having the role that we think he's going to have this season as the quote-unquote top wide receiver on his own team. And that was when Allen Robinson missed snaps in 2021.
0: Put simply, Darnell Mooney was better without Allen Robinson. Check there. And he was better without Justin Fields last year because Justin Fields really struggled. Um, But we'll see. Justin Fields going to be taking another step here. I do want to throw out there that Darnell Mooney's dot when uh, targeted from Justin Fields was at 13.5 yards downfield compared to nine with Andy Dalton. This is going to be more of a boom-bust profile. Even last year, Darnell Mooney was very boom-bust. Um, I think it's going to be a very boom-bust just based on the way that uh, Justin Fields is going to be using uh, Darnell Mooney. Um, but just real quick, Uh, without Allen Robinson, Darnell Mooney averaged 11.7 half PPR points, uh, which would have been about wide receiver 27 last year, which which is exactly where he's going. So I think we should be open to Darnell Mooney at at cost.
1: Yeah. And I like Darnell Mooney as the talent. I thought some of his best stuff was when it was play action leak almost in terms of easy receptions and allowing him to run after the catch. And I still don't know exactly what Luke Getz's offense is, is going to be, and hopefully the bears do by now. Okay. Dallas Cowboys time wide receiver. We've talked about it. It's a shame that they couldn't necessarily do more as a whole because of other injuries that were impacting them when they had Amari Cooper, CeeDee Lamb and Michael Gallup all together. But we know at the start of this season, CeeDee Lamb, who's being drafted at the one 2 turn is going to own this wide receiver group by himself. So what were the splits like that last season?
0: When CeeDee Lamb played without either Gallup or Amari Cooper last year, so it was just one or two of them on the field, he averaged 14 half PPR points. When all three of them were on the field, that dropped down to 12, and the expected fantasy points basically uh, replicated that. If you extrapolate those 14 half PPR points, he would have been the wide receiver 12 last year. I think that we're expecting CeeDee Lamb just to get a little bit better in his third year. Dak Prescott, especially moving on the run, we think should be playing a little bit better this year and we who knows we might not get michael gallup until october if he has a setback november who knows Uh, i'm not expecting a whole lot of james washington they gave him no money for a reason jalen tolbert was like the 15th wide receiver in his own class i'm not expecting a ton from him either so cd lamb has the upside that we're looking for uh we're definitely paying for that upside i think it's completely justified
1: I mean, there's about eight wide receivers you can make the case for to lead the NFL in targets this season and lamb is one of those. But again, you're having to draft him at 13th overall right now. And a lot of people do take him as one of their picks at 12 or the 201. Okay. Denver Broncos, Javante Williams, again, covered this at length in our running back show. But the post by rookie bump is a common phrase that Hayden needs to trademark at some point. What did we see from Javante Williams during his rookie season and how can we impart that either with or without Melvin Gordon heading into 2022
0: before the buy, he averaged nine half PPR points after the post-ride rookie bump. He averaged 13.8. One of those games was with uh, Melvin Gordon sidelined in that game. He had 23 expected half PPR points, 26.8 actual half PPR points. That's the ceiling that you're getting here. I'm expecting a 60, 40 split with Javante on top, maybe for lucky 65 35 here and last year was completely 50 50 so i think his price tag is is totally warranted and that last game uh without melvin gordon just shows you what kind of uh, upside we have here
1: as we said on that show the running backs one uh the price is fair for probably both of these backs you know for where they're going because the upside case for both is is absolutely there and at worst you're probably taking a small loss on them if they both stay healthy okay Anything you want to say about the Broncos wide receivers? Because a ton. <laughs> because people are drafting them a ton right now on underdog. Again, no players have moved up more since week 17 correlation dominated our summers. Uh, and since you know the bring backs with their opposition in week 17 is, is apparently such a massive deal. And anyways, you have Tim Patrick jumping about 12 spots in the last month, Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy about eight spots. On their own. Heck, even KJ Hamler's all the way up at wide receiver 76, despite coming off a major, major injury. Tell us something.
0: They played nine healthy games together, Patrick, Sutton, and Judy. In them, Tim Patrick averaged 6.9 half PPR points. Judy then at 6.2. Cortland Sutton, 2.9. Now, obviously, to get Russell Wilson, maybe you can bump up the projections a little bit, uh, which I'm clearly doing. But I think that we have to look into training camp in the preseason to figure out what the wide receiver groupings are going to be based on formations. Last year, in two wide receiver sets, which we might see because they have Greg Dolchich and Alberto. Uh, it was always Tim Patrick and Cortland Sutton. They ran 42 and 41 routes in two wide receiver sets. Jerry Judy only ran 14 routes. And we always talk about to unlock that ceiling. You have to be playing on in basically every passing situation, especially the two wide receiver sets, because that's where you get some red zone touchdowns. But then I looked into it further courtesy of sports info solutions in three wide receiver sets. When all three of them were on the field, Jerry Judy, He earned 41 targets, Sutton 27, Tim Patrick 25. So Corlin or so interesting So Jerry. Judy was the target earner when all of them were on the field, but he wasn't getting the playing time probably because of size limitations in two wide receiver sets. I looked at yards per route run versus man coverage. uh, And he was like wide receiver 80. Jerry Judy is like blowing my mind. I have no idea. I don't know if he's good, bad, terrible, unusable. If Tim Patrick's the guy, I don't, I have no idea. But I and now looking,
1: now Go he's ahead. with a totally different type of quarterback too. Yeah, like for sure. You know, it's it's Teddy and Drew Lock versus Russell Wilson, who thrives outside the numbers and, and thrives downfield. So then the question is, well, is Jerry Judy that type? Is Cortland Sutton that type? Because it's not going to be a totally new offense that Russ is going to run in Denver. He runs the Russell Wilson offense, you know, with moonshots and and winning in that area. So I'm with you. I'm just totally confused. And I just checked during this time we're talking, Cortland Sutton has now moved up to wide receiver 17.
0: Yeah. I I think Cortland Sutton's the safest because I know he's going to be there in two wide receiver sets. The training camp reports have been positive. Uh, Jerry Judy's all over the place. I think that he has lots of downside risk. He could be a slight win. I'm still waiting for the KJ Handler reports. Reminder, he tore his ACL plus another ligament in his knee and dislocated his uh, his hip on the same exact play. Uh, So I'm betting against him, but I think that Tim Patrick and Cortland Sutton, if I had to pick two wide receivers from the Broncos, I would pick them. But if I get clearance that Jerry Judy's playing in two wide receiver sets, now you can really see the bull case. If it is Tim, big, big Tim Patrick and big Cortland Sutton out there, and they like to run the ball in this offense, I would be a little bit concerned with Jerry Judy as a top 20 fantasy wide receiver.
1: I almost like I have a lot of negative outcomes you can make for this, but then the positive outcome is really easy to see too. So it's, I don't want to say.
0: He's Tyler Lockett. That's exactly it's. I don't want to so say confused. too much.
1: Me too. Mm-hmm. Detroit Lions, Amon Ross St. Brown. Now this was the poster child last season of the post by rookie bump. And I would add Hayden, not just the buy, which was, I believe eight weeks into the season for him. It was also around the same time that Dan Campbell and company took over the offensive play calling and literally featured Amon Ross St. Brown as the top wide receiver on that team. Obviously it's a slightly difference because you have DJ Chark and Jamison at some point this season.
0: The Amon Ross St. Brown stuff is extremely complicated too, because he was earning targets over Josh Reynolds, Khalif Raymond, Brock Wright, Craig Reynolds, Kadero Hodge. I mean, these guys, we have never, I couldn't tell you uh, if they play on any NFL team this year. Uh, and obviously you Josh can, Reynolds still on the lines. Yes. As their wide receiver four because they just added <laughs> DJ shark and Jameson Williams. I'll get Hawkinson and Deandre Swift back in the lineup. And I do think that one thing, just why I wanted to bring up these splits, um, I, I see yards per route run mentioned a lot, and I like the stat as well. Um, but I do think that we have to put some context into yards per route run based off of the target competition that they have. This chart that I'm that I'm showing you guys, there's about a one yard difference in yards per route run when you have uh, players uh, with good teammates versus when those teammates happen to miss some time. Then all of a sudden. Uh, Mike Evans has a higher yards per route run. All of a sudden, KJ Osborne's uh, yards per route run goes higher. Uh, what do you know? Elijah Moore's yards per route run goes higher when Corey Davis misses time. So it makes the, the Amon Ross St. Brown splits completely absurd to go through because uh I'm with you, like you said. It was not just that he was earning more targets. His role changed. He was playing in two yeah. wide receiver sets. That's why we're going back to the Jerry Judy conversation, why it's so important. He was a slot-only player before, and then after that bye... Uh, Dan Campbell liked the guy so much that he ended up playing in two wide receiver sets. So, if that continues on, I think he still has wide receiver two ceilings.
1: Okay. We already talked about Aaron Jones and the Packers' backfield with and without Devontae Adams. Uh, I'm going to turn that into a clip. So, I'm forcing us to skip this one. Yep. Let's instead jump to Hunter Renfro and the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, talk about changes. I mean, the Raiders went through drastic ones and their quarterback went through one too in terms of. Throwing down the field, but Hunter Renfro, we know that he can be a slot machine, um, but this team had a solid passing offense with Henry Ruggs and then without it. And then also had Darren Waller in and out of the lineup and you get Waller back and then you add Devante Adams here. So it's again, a musical chair situation around Hunter Renfro, who was certifiably good at the game.
0: Yeah, definitely. I do want to mention the first nine games with Henry Ruggs, Hunter Renfro only averaged 10 half PPR points on 10 expected half PPR points. Uh, he was averaging 13 and a half uh, without Henry Ruggs. So that's just talking about the target competition. I'm I'm going to go out of the limb here. I'm going to say that Devontae Adams was a little bit better than Henry Ruggs was at earning targets. And then even with Darren Waller, he averaged two uh, fewer half PPR points. So if you do the math, average those out a little bit, it comes out to Hunter Renfro could be like the wide receiver 37, 45 based off of these splits. And he's going as a wide receiver 40. So I think it's a fine price tag, but, uh, long gone are the days of Hunter Renfro being that wide receiver too.
1: And if we're talking about high value targets, Hunter Renfro had 13 targets inside the 10 yard line last season. Um, that was fourth in the league. Guess who was third? Devante Adams, just among wide receivers. So, uh, Either, either the Raiders are going to be able to have twenty-seven targets between the two inside the ten-yard line this season, or someone's going to suffer this year. But this just points to me again. We had our quarterback ranking show too. Hopefully, you all checked it out. Where Derek Carr is going is very fair right now, but I bet he's on track to hit thirty t- passing touchdowns this season. So totally they agree. could be a monster inside the ten and inside the twenty with both of those names plus Darren Waller. It's uh could be pretty scary. Okay. Next up, Miami Dolphins and Jalen Waddle. Again, this is another one with lots of changes. Mike McDaniel comes in. You trade for Tyreek Hill, but maybe the constant is is Tua. But we did see Jalen Waddle really emerge as a rookie, and the quote-unquote number one or X wide receiver in Devontae Parker did have splits in and out of the lineup.
0: This one was pretty surprising with Devontae Parker in those eight games. Jalen Waddle averaged 10.4 half PPR points in the 7 games without DeVonte Parker that jumped up to 14 and a half. So obviously Tyreek Hill is much better than DeVonte Parker, but that kind of goes back to what we're talking about uh 10.4 half PPR points with Jalen Waddle having some target competition. So Tua just needs to play better, Tyreek Hill needs to get uh, injured or miss some time, or Jalen Waddle has to just be better than Tyree Kill to pay off this price tag. So if, if you like one of those options, by all means go for it. I'm I'm nervous.
1: I was just on Established Run Show with Adam and Evan, and they talked up Irv Smith, someone we've talked up before, uh, but also KJ Osborne, and he's next on your list because Adam Thielen missed a good amount of time last season, something like six games, and KJ Osborne emerged out of nowhere obscurity almost they didn't add basically any wide receivers to that roster I think you and I are expecting Kevin O'Connell based on the tight ends that they have outside of Irv Smith to almost live in 11 personnel and so right now at wide receiver 69 for KJ Osborne you're probably getting their third wide receiver but maybe also player last season who stepped up into that wide receiver two role opposite Justin Jefferson.
0: You draft KJ Osborne because he goes up into wide receiver three land. If Adam Thielen or Justin Jefferson missed time last year in the six games when Thielen missed, KJ Osborne averaged 11.4 half PPR points. Rock solid player. Uh, I think there's even a chance if both of those stay healthy that we just get a couple more usable weeks that we're used to from KJ Osborne. I'm reading Arif Hassan from The Athletic who covers the Vikings tremendously. And he keeps saying that they like KJ Osborne's ability to block and this is an offense like the, that the Rams uh used where they need their wide receivers to block and they he thinks that KJ Osborne is going to get a lot of playing time for that alone plus like you said this this isn't going to be the two tight end Zimmer offense anymore where they're yeah. going to be run heavy this is going to be modern uh mixedian uh offense and I think there's a chance that KJ Osborne could be like Van Jefferson when everyone's healthy and one of those two guys goes down that's when you can see a player like KJ Osborne be very profitable
1: Yeah, I mean, KJ Osborne, Josh Palmer go very closely in ADP right now, and uh, I'm in on both. Okay, let's spend a bunch of time on Jets' second-year wide receiver, Elijah Moore. We talked about it in our second-year breakout show. You're loving that show. By the way, thanks for checking it out. Um, He's awesome as an individual. I think he ruined a lot of NFL evaluators' thoughts on him because he went out there and just wasn't a slot receiver. He even lined up at X and was winning down the field and basically every level. Of the field. Now, there's about three different layers to this, right? You have the post by rookie bump, you have with and without Corey Davis, and maybe most importantly, you have with and without Zach Wilson
0: because Elijah Moore thrived in one of those scenarios and was very average in the other. And then I can throw in this year with and without Garrett Wilson, with and without uh, Brees Hall and with the and without a, a better offensive line of with with more tight ends like i mean good luck if you think you have the elijah moore projection down i would love to know i do know that he is good at the game but um i'm looking at uh p or half ppr points per target uh when it was cor- uh, when those targets were coming from zach wilson it was at 0.85 when it was coming back from the other quarterbacks it was all the way up to two So he was just much worse with Zach Wilson. So Zach Wilson has to play better this year and he's got to hold on to those two wide receiver sets because they're paying Corey Davis, Garrett Wilson, we think is a good prospect. Uh, So hopefully they don't pigeonhole him as a a slot only player. I don't think that they'll do that based off the last year, but he has to be able to be in two wide receiver sets because this offense will be using two tight ends. They'll use a fullback. They'll be playing slow. They'll be uh, running the ball a ton too. So Elijah Moore has to be, I think, tremendous as a real life player to be a a top fantasy play. You know, it's it's, everything's working against him,
1: right? Which he can be like he can evolve into, let's say they want Garrett Wilson to be their quote unquote, number one, one of the better number two wide receivers across the league. And I have to say this because Jets fans always get in our backs when we don't mention this. Zach Wilson did get a little bit better towards the end of last year. But to your point. Hayden, that was also when Elijah Moore wasn't on the field. And even when Jets fans say, who was great against Tampa Bay, that was to the tune of 234 yards and one touchdown, you know, on 33 passing attempts. Like when Elijah Moore was playing well, it was with these backup quarterbacks who would sit inside of structure, sit in the pocket, allow him to create separation on either the backside or the front side or down the field. And these quarterbacks, because they had some experience and, and comfort and chaos could get the ball to him. Zach Wilson just wasn't doing that. You know, he was escaping and then throwing down the field. Maybe they both are better now and they can be better together. But again, as Hayden said, good luck trying to project that among all the other pieces that they've added to, despite us loving Elijah Moore, the individual, so much.
0: Last little layer of this. Uh, Elijah Moore's a dot was at 12.8 with Zach Wilson, which is pretty far down the field, especially for a player that plays some slot receiver. And then with the rest of them, it was at 10.3. So it's, it's basically a boom bust type of quarterback and Zach Wilson versus the white guy and these other quarterbacks who are just taking the check down under underneath. So who knows what we're going to get from Elijah Moore. I want to bet on him, but man, yeah. the jets are making this freaking difficult for me and I'm, I'm a little nervous.
1: He's going as wide receiver 32 right now. That's just ahead of Devonte Smith and Drake London. Uh, we haven't gotten a white guy mentioned in a long time either. So I'm sure we're going to bring that back. Hopefully at some point, hopefully Hopefully not. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe for Elijah Moore's sake, we need to. Okay. Dallas Goddard Eagles for so long, it was like perceived or projected that once Zach Ertz was out of town, Dallas Goddard could emerge and like finally fulfill his destiny of being one of the more explosive and interesting tight ends across the league. We finally got it. 11 games. And yes, his numbers were better.
0: He averaged a point and a half more half PPR points and a point and a half more expected half PPR points.
1: Now, that did coincide with the shift in the offense, right? Because obviously in the first six or seven weeks, the Eagles were much more pass heavy. And then they just threw out the playbook and started all over and started running a bit more.
0: So there's some upside that Dallas, if the offense is just becomes more pass heavy again. But at the same time, the, the reason why we think they're going to be more pass heavy is this guy's name is AJ Brown, which I'm I'm assuming they're going to throw the ball to uh, a, a ton here. So I think that it's he'll be on the tight end one two borderline. I think that he needs an injury just based off of this, uh what to Devonta Smith or AJ Brown to be like a top five fantasy guy.
1: So we have planted our flag in the corner, as we mentioned, of Dawson Knox at like that tight end nine spot. We talked about Zach Ertz at tight end 10, but right now the tight end 11 is Pat Fryermuth entering his second season. I've outlined it in every single show. So I have to do it on this one. And I freaking hated watching this offense with Ben Roethlisberger at quarterback. One of the small joys I was able to take from it was the Muth being great in the red zone and in the end zone. and, And I think he has a lot of talent for a young tight end and it's a difficult position to make an impact early. What did you see from Pat Fryermuth, and what does your Excel spreadsheet tell us?
0: Well, my eyes tell me that he was good. I thought he was a great prospect coming out. If Kyle Pitts didn't exist, I think that we'd be talking about Pat Fryermuth a lot more. Uh, in the 11 games, per my spreadsheets, after the post by rookie bump, he averaged 8.7 half PPR points on 8.7 expected half PPR points. That's like tight end 11 overall, and that's basically where he's getting drafted. The thing that I'm looking for for Fryermuth is there's this giant – named zach gentry who ran more routes than firemuth in the playoff games who's like this massive blocking type and that guy was preventing pat Firemouth from from playing a full complement of snaps uh the mooth never played even 80 snaps in a single game last year so that's like the last little layer that we need from pat firemuth uh to kind of get out of this like touchdown or bust category
1: if I'm missing on the early tight ends that we've talked about on our tight ends ranking show, if I then miss on Dawson Knox, I kind of like doubling up or even tripling up with Friar Muth, uh, David and Joku, and maybe one other name too. It used to be Cameron Brake, but that one's going to get steamed up. Uh, I see you doing the little head nod and you're like, uh, I half I'm agree, confident. half disagree with you. Yeah. I know what that look is. I've done too many shows with you. Okay. He's uh, good.
0: That's the problem Is I want to, I think he's a good player.
1: I mean, all you have to do is have all three of those guys equal one decent tight end. And at least he, you know, scores some touchdowns, hopefully. Yep. So, okay. Let's now go to the Seattle Seahawks at wide receiver. Uh, this one's pretty simple. Last year we got it with Russell Wilson and without Russell Wilson. So, what did that mean for DK Metcalf? And what did that mean for Tyler Lockett? And I want to throw in, Hayden, that A's two are going in drastically different spots on underdog drafts right now. DK Metcalf at wide receiver 23, Tyra Lockett at wide receiver 45. Does that bear out again in the Excel spreadsheets?
0: This is like going back to the top of the show where I was warning about using production instead of usage in these small sample size splits. Uh, For whatever reason, DK Metcalf had fewer expected half PPR points in usage than Tyre Lockett in games without Russell Wilson. But Metcalf outproduced him twofold because he had a couple of long touchdowns. Uh so I think we can throw away all the samples. It doesn't really matter here. I do want to note, and I think that this is actually gonna hold true mostly, is DK Metcalf's A dot was at 13.5 yards downfield with Russ, and that dropped down to 8.8 with Geno Smith. Now, if it's not Geno Smith and it's Drew Locke or maybe Baker Mayfield, I think those guys are somewhat like Uh, Russ Wilson in that they try to throw the ball downfield, not saying they're as good as Russell Wilson. Don't get me wrong. Um, But yeah, I I think that these splits, if you see a on-off splits uh, from Tyler Lockett or DK Metcalf, this is the one where you just basically close your eyes and pretend they don't exist.
1: I think we bypass Eli Mitchell because that sample is pretty small in terms of pre-buy and post-buy. It was just three games. Um, And we just jumped down to, to Debo Samuel. Um, I mean, we saw Debo early on in the year thrive as a wide receiver. I think not just in fantasy land, but also just when talking about Debo Samuel, I think, again, because it's the last thing that we saw how ridiculous he was as a running back um, makes us overlook how ludicrous he is as a pure wide receiver, too.
0: Yeah, before he's playing uh, running back, there was nine games before he kind of started playing more. In those games, he averaged 18.1 half PPR points. And then after he started playing running back, he averaged 18.2 half PPR points. Turns out he's extremely good at both of them. But I do want to make a couple notes why I think that we should be rooting for Debo Samuel, the wide receiver and not the running back. Yep. Uh, in those splits, he averaged more expected half PPR points as the receiver type by a full point. And that's going to be helpful. I also think that if he is going to remain this outlier type of player, which he completely was, I think it's easier to be an outlier uh receiver down the field and like as like a taking a crossing route to the house rather than lining up in the backfield and consistently having like 50 yard touchdowns out of the backfield. So, and then on top of that, he's probably less likely to get injured if he's the wide receiver. So I'm hoping in training camp, because he was holding out these these this contract, he's saying. Don't put me in the, the damn backfield. I want to get hurt here. Play me at widers here. If we get some of those reports, I'm going to be more interested in Debo in the middle of the second round.
1: Yeah, and while, yes, he finished the year with 59 carries and eight touchdowns, 365 Our yards. Third. The dude also had 1,400 receiving yards on 77 receptions. Just a ludicrous player. Yeah. I mean, and he's Nuts. he is very steady at wide receiver eight, 18th overall. And that really hasn't fluctuated at all at the moment. Okay, just a couple more left. Let's go to Mike Evans. And I I like the split that you have here. And it's without Chris Godwin and it's with Chris Godwin. And I know you probably couldn't have done an Antonio Brown one because that dude was in and out all too often and was just getting peppered with targets when he was in the game. Anyways, uh, Chris Godwin, late season injury. He's going to miss some time. We don't know how much it is. Could be October, could be November, whatever. They also brought in Russell Gage, anyways. In twelve games without Chris Godwin, and five with what did we see with Mike Evans?
0: So the split is without Chris Godwin or Antonio Brown. So when there was just like oh. two legit uh players, and in those games he averaged sixteen point seven half PPR points, which is absurd. That would have made him the wide receiver four last year. He's and the usage was was top twelve as well. So I think that going back to the yards per run conversation. Yes, yards per out run for Mike Evans has declined the last couple of years. You know why? Because they added freaking Gronk. Uh, Chris Godwin's gotten better. And uh, Antonio Brown was like literally a top five in all these efficiency ne- metrics. So I think that Mike Evans' target competition is way, way down this year. And I think that he is going to be pretty damn good again.
1: And he's going as, as wide receiver seven. Uh, we just posted a clip on how, at least in my opinion, Tom Brady is still underrated in fantasy football. He was the quarterback three last year, going as the quarterback nine. And all I got in those responses was, well, he has no Gronk and he has no Antonio Brown anymore. Granted, those are amazing talents. Um, but it's also why I'm drafting Russell Gage at wide receiver 41. Not the same. And I actually think Gronk's intermediate and downfield targets at tight end is going to be somewhat difficult to to replace. But uh, I trust, you know, the greatest quarterback of all time to be able to do it and uh, to make good on his value. Okay, I guess we'll close out with this one. Speaking of Rob Gronkowski, it's uh, it's Cameron Brait. Look, at the time that Gronk retired or pre-retirement, I think Cameron Brait was going as like tight end twenty nine or yeah. something like that. And we had mentioned him in a few shows. In fact, I think I even paired him with Gronk at times because of how impactful the red zone usage was for tight ends in that bucks offense. Uh, he's already jumped up all the way to tight end 23. I'm not going to ask you necessarily where you would slot him now among all other tight ends, but uh, what can we expect if anything from Cameron Bright as like the lone tight end in this offense?
0: He played five games without Gronk last year, and he averaged 6.6 expected half PPR points. He was awful in those games, but I do want to throw out there, in those games, he still had O.J. Howard. This was also a stretch of the season where Antonio Brown was going off, and Chris Godwin was healthy, and Mike Evans was healthy. So I think that the splits uh, last year are going to make Cameron Brait seem worse than what his projection is this year. Now, I went back and I watched some Cameron Brait, and he's definitely an undersized tight end but they do line them up in the slot so I'm going to be looking for is he playing in 11 personnel is he going to be a traditional blocker is that going to go to Kate Otten? is that going to go to I don't know Jared Cook or someone like that that they want to sign or does Grant come back and cut Cameron Bray in in November maybe so but I think that Cameron Bray is going to be a like slot passing down uh, option and he was targeted pretty heavily in the red zone so I think that he's still a tight end too firmly like tight end 19 or somewhere like that but if his adp stays at tight end 23 i think you have to be buying
1: that's exactly where i would have placed him like hunter henry david and joku are 17 18 and then gerald everett's tight end 19 and it, that feels similar about right to me yeah. yeah similar bets okay i think that's it fair enough feels like a speed round after the running back show that we did hopefully you all are enjoying those you've gone through all three of those positions and this upcoming Thursday, we'll do wide receivers, which maybe be three hours.
0: Uh, <laughs> I'm need more time for that show.
1: <laughs> go, go, and check out the running back episode. I know it's two hours, but we literally dissect every single backfield, the feature backs, the ones that have you know those situations to themselves, but then also the ambiguous backfields, the split backfields. I think it will really help you, and it's content for really the entire summer until we get to uh, until we get to training camp. All right. Yep. That's going to do it for Hayden. His columns down in the description below, like subscribe, bang that notification bell. I'm Josh up the Villa. Talk to y'all soon. See ya.